Like what you hear on this podcast? There's more. Feel free to check out more books by me, Dave Schmidt, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you pick up your books. You can check out It's Like Riding a Bike, How to Make Learning Last a Lifetime, or grab my new release, Bold Humility, Empowering Teachers by Empowering Students. Hey everybody, it is Dave Schmidt back with another edition of the Lasting Learning Podcast. If you haven't gone back to, to check out some of the most recent episodes, I encourage you to do so. Uh, recently this summer, uh, 2019, I shared with everybody a free audio version of my book, It's Like Riding a Bike, How to Make Learning Last a Lifetime, where I literally sat down and read a chapter a week to you. So if you haven't had a chance to check out that book yet or listen to those podcasts, feel free. Um, literally, it's free. So so check that out. Um, my podcasts typically are 10 to 15 minutes in length, uh, designed to just uh, give you something to think about, something to talk about on your way to or from work. Um, don't want to make them too long to, so that they, they linger. Um, but I also want to make sure that we can jump into some topics that hopefully intrigue and fascinate you and and uh, make you think a little bit. So uh, this week, I want to talk about a, a topic that um, I've had the opportunity to speak about quite a bit recently. Um, recently in Oakland County, Michigan, I, I spoke about it. And I'll be speaking a little bit more about it in Nashville this fall. Um, and then again, out in LA next spring. But um, the idea of learning being a process and not something that is binary, got it, don't got it. Um, I think far too often in our schools, for a lot of different reasons, which we won't have time to necessarily go into all the reasons right now, uh, but we, we try to simplify the learning process and, and turn it into something where um, we can measure it easily by simply marking questions right or wrong. Um, telling kids that they got it, don't got it. I've made reference back to the uh, early cartoons that came out in the 1920s and 30s where um, a, a cartoon character would have an epiphany, have an idea, and a light bulb illuminates above their head as though ideas or learning just simply come to you in a moment. I mean, the reality is learning is always a process. Learning is never something that you just stumble upon or that you just get. It's also something... Um, that I, I think we miss the mark on in our classrooms quite a bit in terms of how we measure it, how we embrace it, and uh, how we quantify it. And I think that that's really the secret to why we see stagnating scores, why we see stagnating success rates and achievement in, in a lot of our schools. Even when we're talking about growth, um, when we're looking at state standardized test scores, for example, a lot of states now incorporate growth in terms of how they evaluate schools and programming. Um, Oftentimes we look at growth as though it's a, the way to measure it is how many more questions a kid gets right on a test as opposed to having greater depth of understanding on a single topic. It's not about knowing more topics oftentimes. Learning is about knowing something a little bit deeper, more intimately. 
You know, think about a relationship you might have with a spouse or significant other. Um, the longer you're with somebody, the more you know them, the more you know about them. Uh, it, it's not like a, a trivia question. Uh, I, I'm sorry, a, a, a trivia test where um, you are asked 100 questions and in year one of marriage, you're able to answer 75 questions about your spouse. And in year 30, you're able to answer 85 questions about your spouse. It's the fact that you know them on a deeper level, on a more intimate level. You know what makes them tick. You know their passions. You know their drives. You know their idiosyncrasies. You know um, you know them on a, on a real level. I think in, in schools and in classrooms, we lose sight of that. And I'm just going to give you a, a couple of simple examples just to, to challenge you a little bit. So I've told you before that I am a father of four kids. My oldest child uh, right now, as I'm, as I'm uh, sharing this, is going into eighth grade. He's 13 years old. My youngest child actually has his fourth birthday coming up this week. So I'm extremely busy. I've got kids that, that run the gamut. Um, I'm going to take you back uh, about three years ago, though, um, when my youngest child was just um, before his first birthday. I came home from school one day and uh, was greeted by my wife who asked me to get out my cell phone. And uh, she challenged me to record a video of my youngest son, Mason. So if, if you could see this video, um, and I shared in person quite a bit um, at presentations, but if you could see this video, you can picture a little uh, 11 month old child wearing a onesie uh, with little feet attached to it and looking super, super adorable, um, standing up and leaning against a walker. Um, walker is basically um, a device that has four wheels on it. He can lean on it, um, picture like almost like a shopping cart. My, my son Mason was leaning on the shopping cart and he takes uh, about 10 steps, crashes into the front door and then falls down and immediately starts crying. So I, I record this video of my son taking those steps. Um, it's a 13 second video. And after I'm done, my wife looks at me and says, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Mason's a walker. He's walking now. Now, um, I don't want to tell you the thoughts that were going through my head at that moment, but I can definitely tell you I did not look at Mason and think that he was walking at that moment. What I did think was that Mason was leaning on a walker. I was um, fascinated by the, the fact that Mason was able to take some steps, but he was doing it assisted. And in my eyes, he wasn't walking. He was um simply leaning and, and stumbling and trying to keep up with a walker. But my wife's eyes, he was a walker. Now, there are lots of reasons why she and I have different perspectives on, on this. And some people have pointed out it's the fact that my wife stays home and um, she's able to see my kids uh, every day. And uh, she was there when Mason was, was unable to roll over in his crib, when he was unable to sit up by himself, when he was unable to stand up unassisted. In her eyes, she saw the progression that he had gone through and saw that he was so much further ahead uh, 11 months into his life than he was when he was first born in his journey of becoming mobile that in her eyes, he was successfully walking. Now, me personally, I, I run marathons and I go out and uh, run every afternoon, five, six, 10, 20 miles, depending on the day. Um, and I could argue that being a successful walker, um, being a proficient walker, might actually involve being able to jog or run maybe a mile, maybe two miles, maybe 10 miles, maybe 20 miles. 
my arbitrary standard of what makes successful mobility or proficiency in walking with your two feet um, is a little bit different than, than my wife's perspective. Uh, but it's really not that extreme because I could tell you another story too. I want you to, to imagine um, an adult child being asked to care for um, their their own parents who are, um, maybe that you have a, an elderly father who is in his 80s. I'm gonna, let me just tell you the story. It's a story that um, I can honestly tell you is very similar to an experience I went through with my own grandfather. But let's just imagine that you have um, an elderly father who's 85 years old and uh, you are an only child and your elderly father has just had a stroke. And being the only child, you take on the responsibility every day to go sit with your father at the hospital every evening, um, just to be there with him, to talk to him, to try to support him. Now, the stroke that your father um, had is a pretty severe stroke. Um, He's not able to talk, not able to communicate, not able to, to move unassisted. But you continue to go there every single night and sit by your father's bed, watching TV with him. Maybe you watch Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune with him every single night just because you want to, to show him that, that you care. And then let's take that story and fast forward eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks down the road. You're there one night and uh, you're talking to your father and Wheel of Fortune goes off and um, you decide that you want to get up and change the channel on the TV. But the remote control is across the room. As you get up, your father, who nine weeks ago had this major stroke, reaches over and grabs your arm. You look at him kind of shocked um, and ask him, what can I do? What What do you need? You ask him if um, he wants you to, to change the channel and he actually nods his head. So you tell him that you're going to go get the remote so that you can change the channel on TV. And instead of allowing you to get up and change it, your father takes his feet, shifts them off the bed, um, proceeds to lean against you, and uh, the two of you move across the room to grab that remote control. That night, as you are heading back home, you decide to call your best friend on the phone and give them an update on your father, and you tell them in a shocked voice that they're not going to believe it, but tonight, your dad walked across the room. Now, it's interesting, that perspective and how that perspective has changed because, um, you know, in in one instance, like in in my instance with my youngest son, I didn't see him as a walker when he was leaning on a walker and taking 13 steps. But in an instance with an elderly parent who had a stroke and who you were there caring for every single night, when you're able to see that process and that evolution of growth, you're able to celebrate that they are walking, although they're doing a skill very, very similar to what that 11-month-old child of mine was doing. You know, our perspectives change, our perspectives shift. Um, walking is a, a small example, but walking is a, an example that I think is one that is relatable to almost all of us when we start to, to look at a skill or something that has to be learned and acquired. Because proficiency in walking um, is something that is very arbitrary in terms of what we consider to be 
proficient? Does it mean two steps, three steps? Does it mean unassisted? Does it does a 40-year-old that um, has been, quote-unquote, walking for 39 years that falls down the stairs, are they no longer proficient? When you stub your toe on the corner of your your uh, your wall and you fall to the ground or you slip on a banana peel, does that make you not proficient because you've made mistakes? The question is really one about um, defining limits and understanding that it's always a process. Learning is a process and learning is something that needs to be celebrated as a process. In your classrooms and in your schools, are there ways that you measure growth in terms of depth of understanding and depth of accomplishment beyond simply got it, don't got it? If you are correcting papers, let's say a math paper at the end of the day, and uh, you are giving kids credit based off of the number of questions that they got right versus the number of questions they got wrong, and giving them a score of a B or an A or a C based off of that, do you really know what the kids know and what they don't know versus do you know how many they got right versus how many they got wrong? If you are still giving your, your kids tests and assignments that are very black and white, got it, don't got it, spelling tests or mathematical fluency tests, I would argue that those are probably a waste of your time and definitely a waste of your students' time. Yeah, there, there's a time and a place for regurgitation of information. There's a time and a place for got it, don't got it. But as professional educators, we are tasked with assessing and instructing the learning process. You know, we're, we're all presented with actually standards now across America, whether you like the Common Core or you don't like the Common Core, that embrace the idea of a learning progression. It's not about every teacher teaching dinosaurs every single year, but it's about taking that learning to, to greater depths. It's about taking uh, the concept of, of fractions. It's about taking the concept of citing textual evidence. It's about taking big concepts and pushing them throughout their progression. We have to embrace the fact that as kids get older, as they learn more, their ability to process information on a deeper, more real level should grow as well. So get away from marking the, the quantity of responses correct and start focusing on the quality of depth because all learning, all lasting learning is really a process.